If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 677. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook. Forgotten Founders Free Audiobook, the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that, and I will be talking about McClanahan Academy in this podcast, so you're going to hear more about it. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, click on that super thanks button under the video. You can throw a few pennies my way that way. You can also do the same at brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way there. You can also click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And as always, Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally, acting locally. Share it around on social media. Send me those show requests. Let me know what you want to hear. I want to hear that. I want to read that. I want to know because I want to keep the podcast fresh. Now, if you don't know, McClanahan Academy has a new course out. It's entitled Copperheads. And I want to talk about Copperheads today. I think this is a great podcast topic because it's something that I'm really passionate about. And, you know, McClanahan Academy has tons and tons of classes. Right over, I mean, almost 30 now, I think, is what I have there. And I've got them on all kinds of different topics um, and a range of prices. But this particular uh, class that I just released last week, and by the way, it's on sale right now. If you're getting this on Monday, August 1st, it's still on sale, 60 bucks off. If you use the coupon code COPPERHEADS, you can get 60 bucks off the class. But I want to talk about the, the Copperheads themselves and how I got involved in this. And this is going to be a little personal reflection. So when I was in graduate school, I was finishing up, and I remember I had a professor, not my, not my primary advisor, Clyde Wilson, but another professor, a real pro at South Carolina. And I took a writing seminar with him. And I'm not going to tell you who it is just to protect the innocent, right? Took a writing seminar with him, and... Uh, he said, look, uh, he asked what I wanted to do, and I told him I was thinking about doing a, a my dissertation on Abraham Lincoln, something doing with Lincoln, civil liberties, something like that. I was, I was interested in that topic, and he said, that's terrible. It's been done before. Of course, this was uh, in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Actually, this is more early 2000s. I, I, and so he said, that's, that's been done before. There was actually a book by a guy named Mark Neely, and he won the Pulitzer Prize for this particular book, even though it's a garbage book. And I'll talk about that in a second. And I said, okay, so, um, well, I mean, I, I have this Delaware angle that I worked on as an undergraduate. And then for my master's thesis, I wrote a book about, or a book, I wrote my thesis on uh, Southern sympathy in Delaware during the war. It was a, a little master's thesis. wasn't wasn't long. And I said, how about something like that? And he said, okay, yeah, I mean, you could do that, um, but maybe you need to you know, kind of refine that a little bit. And so what I came up with was focusing on one individual in Delaware, James Byard. And there was plenty of material there on Byard. I mean, the man's son had served as Secretary of State, Ambassador to Great Britain, United States Senator. His, 
His brother had served as a United States senator. His father had been a member of Congress and on the Treaty of Ghent proceedings. Uh, his grandfather had signed the Constitution. His grandson served in the United States Senate. So this is a very powerful political family in Delaware. And I thought, well, I mean, there's lots of material out there. His letters are in his son's collection at the Library of Congress. A lot of his letters, not everything. There are still a few out there in other places, but um, he's got a, a bunch of letters out there. And so that made it easy. Plus, he had made a number of speeches in the Senate. He had served since the 1850s. And then in, he served from, from 1851 into 1864. And then he resigned and he came back for a brief period during Reconstruction. There's a lot there. He made a lot of speeches. And he wrote a book on the Constitution in the 1830s. And I thought, wow, I mean, this guy is fantastic. There's nothing out there. And I will tell you this, and I'm going to say, I am going to, to publish my dissertation. You're going to want to read it. He has a lot to offer if you're a, po a political junkie or someone's interested in political history. There's a lot there with Byard. So I thought, this is a really good topic. And as I got into Byard in his speeches, and I knew he was a Lincoln opponent, which is why I wanted to focus on him. As I got into his speeches and started looking at what he was saying about things, it just was apparent to me that this particular part of American history, these copperheads, these people that opposed Lincoln, had not been given the scholarly attention they deserved. Now, everyone had heard of Clement Vallandigham. And of course, in my copperheads class, the very first speech you go to in that class is Clement Vallandigham's executive usurpation. It's a great speech. In fact, I cannot talk and cannot say uh, as many good things about it as it deserves. Uh, that speech, if you if you go through it and read it, you'll find that the arguments that the quote-unquote lost causers made after the war are all laid out by Clement Vallandigham of Ohio in July of 1861. Right? So people will say, these guys are making this stuff up. This isn't true. This stuff isn't true. These people aren't true. What they're saying isn't true. Uh, they're just lying. Well, is Vallandigham lying? Of course he's not lying. He's telling you what the Republicans, that, at, as Byard called them, the reptiles in Congress, what they're really about, which was power and transforming America. I mean, this is, this is so important to get. This is why the Copperheads are essential for our understanding of American history moving forward. And I started realizing that as I dug into James Byard, because not only did he have a great speech on executive usurpation, he, uh, he gave his speech just a few days after Vallandigham gave his in 1861. That speech is also in the Copperheads class, which is one that most people don't know anything about. It's a longer speech and uh, a little bit better on nailing Lincoln's abuse of habeas corpus. And he goes after, of course, the attorney general at that particular time. Just a lot of good stuff there. Uh, so... That speech is great, but there's others. I mean, Byard gave several speeches on Lincoln's abuse of power. He gave speeches on the Republicans abusing power when it came to centralizing the financial system, when it came to financing the war, when it came to doing just about anything to prosecute the war and destroy the South. He, in fact, called it uh, subjugation. He called it uh, the, the South would be annihilated. That was the whole point of it, right? It was occupation and subjugation. That's what the North was going to have to do, the United States was going to have to do to the South in order to win the war. He called it in 1861. His son-in-law, in fact, his last name was Lockwood, joined the Union Army, and Byard wrote him this letter, and it's a beautiful letter. I mean, it's, it's one of these letters you find and you say, oh my gosh, 
I mean, you can't believe it's like a jewel because he, this is a private, it's a personal private letter. So nobody saw this but his son-in-law. And he basically tells him, in joining up for the Union Army, you are signing up to essentially annihilate the Southern people. That's what you're signing up to do, to exterminate them. And uh, Bayard couldn't believe that his daughter's husband would do this. How could you sign up to go exterminate the South? And Bayard, also found in his private letters, was a secessionist. He believed that Delaware should join the Confederacy. He was in, he was in uh, Alabama when South Carolina fired on Fort Sumter. Now, he had planned this trip months in advance. Uh, to go down to the south, but I mean, of course, the the theory is that he's he was down there trying to work out how Delaware could join the Confederacy. He wrote his son that um, that Delaware had to go with Maryland and Maryland had to go with Virginia. And as to Virginia, there's no doubt, right? So he understood where Virginia was going to go, and that was they were going to join the Confederacy. It was just a matter of time, and of course they did. But now Maryland had to stay in the Union because of Lincoln's arbitrary power. And this is something Bayard just blasted the Lincoln administration over. So as I got into this stuff, I thought, my gosh, this is just beautiful. Now, right about the time I was working on the dissertation, a woman named Jennifer Weber came out with a book entitled Copperheads. And so she kind of stole my thunder, right? I mean, I had this, one, I mean, I had this book on Bayard or this dissertation on Bayard that could have been a book. And she puts this thing out there. And of course, her book essentially lays the entire Copperhead movement at the feet of racism. That all the Copperheads, were the only thing they were worried about is that there was going to be blacks. And they didn't like black Americans. And so this is all about racism. This is, this is all this is. The Copperhead movement came down to the fact that they believed Lincoln was a racial egalitarian. And they couldn't stand it. And so it was all about that. But what I got out of Bayard and out of some of the other things I read, and of course I cover them in the class too, by the way, was that there was a lot more to this. This wasn't just simply knee-jerk racism. And you could find it, right? Some of these guys coming out of the Midwest um, could be, uh, you know, Voorhees for, out of Indiana, Voorhees. Just, I mean, he would say some things that you would say, gosh, it's racist. Or Alexander Long, who I cover in the class. Or uh, James Walter Wall from, from New Jersey, who I cover in the class. There was some really good stuff there. I didn't cover Voorhees, by the way. I didn't cover Pendleton, who was also good out of Ohio. There's, there's a bunch of good people I left out of the class because, you know what, there can be a part two at some point. There's so much stuff there. There could easily be a part two. So I got some really poignant essays, some really poignant speeches or essays, and I put them in the course. Because I want you to fall in love with this Copperhead movement like I did. I want you to see this is the key to unlocking the entire narrative of American history. Because you see, Lincoln is the, is the pivot point for everything. When I wrote Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America, I, of course, included George Washington and, and Andrew Jackson in that list. And also Abraham Lincoln. And I remember doing the publicity for that particular book. And I would get on with these conservative talk show programs. And they couldn't believe that I'd include Washington, Jackson, and Lincoln in there. But that antebellum, of course, Lincoln is during the war, but, you know, elected before the war. That antebellum trifecta did so much to transform executive power. Now, I will give, I, look, I love George Washington. You can't see it, but I have a bust of George Washington behind me. I, have, I think I've said this on this podcast before. I love George Washington. 
Uh, Washington is the indispensable man. He is the quintessential American. There's nobody more important in American history than George Washington. I love him. But Washington listened to Hamilton too much while he was president, and he did some things that were abusive. He abused power, at least the way that the founding generation sold the document to the states during ratification. Washington was acting out of turn, and I think there's no way you can get around that, that point. But and that sets the stage for, of course, Andrew Jackson, who even though he wrote great veto messages, and Jackson said a lot of things. This is Brad Berzer's book in defense of Andrew Jackson. I can get Berzer's point. Jackson was Republican with a lowercase r for the most part, but he was also a centralizer in many ways. And Jackson believed in military power, and he didn't think the states had any leeway in this federal republic to do anything but obey the powers of the central government. And this is when you get to the nullification controversy and how he viewed that. Um, of course, even the dispute over the Cherokee lands um, and how he viewed that with John Marshall. Marshall, the nationalist going against who supposedly you know takes a much more decentralist position against against uh, Jackson um, is is interesting. I mean, in some ways, right? Well, I guess Jackson, you know, trying to side with Georgia, but um, this this is a really interesting episode. But Jackson's heavy-handed policy is directly related to Lincoln, so there's a clear line there. Now, Lincoln though does things that nobody had done, and in fact. In these speeches that I use for Copperheads, they point out some pretty important things about Abraham Lincoln. First and foremost, Lincoln's unilateral suspension of habeas corpus was the first time that, I mean, really, the first time, and really the only time in the history of the United States, and in many ways in the history of the Anglo-American world to that point, since the Magna Carta, that the executive had suspended habeas corpus. It's the only time. And so the debate was, and this I read a, I read a, a, a review of Mark Neely's book uh, by Paul Finkelman, who was a Lincoln worshiper. Uh, Finkelman, I, I, he's another one like Alan Gelzo that I think wakes up every morning and spreads holy water, you know, splashes holy water on a statue of Abraham Lincoln, then genuflects. Um, but... I, I saw, I mean, when I read this review, oh, he didn't go far enough. And he just flippantly, offhanded, says, oh, Lincoln suspended habeas corpus because he had to, because it's the only time you can. But it, it's, that's not the case, right? People just buy that Lincoln somehow had the constitutional authority to do this. He didn't. He had zero constitutional authority to do anything he was doing when it came to the suppression of civil liberties in the North during the war. Now, for a long time, the number of political arrests was considered to be about 13,000 individuals were arrested in the North. Mark Neely, to his credit, says, no, it's actually maybe 200 times higher than that. So we're talking maybe 30,000, maybe 40,000. In the class, I come to say 30,000. Now, he says, but a lot of these people were just, uh, they had said some nasty things about Abraham Lincoln. And it really wasn't a big deal. Not a big deal? Not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Imagine you go outside your house and you say, oh, I think that Abraham Lincoln is a, is a, is a traitor. I think Abraham, he might, he might be had a little too much on the sauce. Who knows? But you say some pretty disparaging things about Lincoln and they throw you in jail for this. And since you don't have habeas corpus, you can be held there indefinitely till they decide to let you out. 
and you can't have any judicial, any legal resource, recourse over this. I mean, you're, you're in jail now simply for saying something about Abraham Lincoln. And it happened. It happened a lot. Not only did that happen a lot, of course, Lincoln used troops at polls. There's letters. There's a, I loved when I was doing this with Delaware. George P. Fisher, who was in the House of Representatives, uh, wrote Lincoln a letter requesting troops at the polls in Delaware because he thought they were going to be swamped in the upcoming election. So Lincoln sends in the troops. And you know what? He lost anyways, which is hilarious. But not only that, uh, this shows you the extent to which Lincoln administration was willing to use federal power to win elections. Now, Neely contends, and Finkelman just kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, this is true. Finkel, these guys say, well, they, they, wasn't really, they weren't doing this to win elections. They were doing it because there was a real threat to American democracy in 1861 and 1862 and 1863. Notice 1863. You get Gettysburg, and so the war seems to be turning around for the Lincoln administration. But before that point, early 1863, Lincoln has issued the Emancipation Proclamation. You have mass desertions in the Union Army. People are out. They're not fighting to free slaves. And uh, you, you've got this real turning point in the war, which I find, of course, fascinating. And it doesn't look like Lincoln's going to win the election in 64. If things continue to go poorly... Lincoln's going to lose in 64. Now, I know we're almost two years away from it, right? Early 1863, November 1864. It's almost two years. But there are, people are already, already thinking about the 64 election, and did Lincoln have a shot? And if the, the Copperheads have their way, well, Lincoln wouldn't have had a shot because he was an unmitigated disaster when it came to civil liberties. Now, Neely tries to brush this aside, and he says, look, no, 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 this wasn't that bad. Look, we only found 13 people. And while I will say there was abuse of power in, say, Missouri, that's okay. Uh, Missouri's all right. I mean, yeah, well, that, I mean, we, it's bad. We need, we need to call Lincoln out for that. But most times, this was okay. Now, in the class Copperheads, several of the people that I included in the class were arrested. Right? <laughs> they were arrested. Or there was threats to boot them out of the Congress. For simply saying things about Abraham Lincoln, great example of that, and I brought this up uh, at times on social media. Uh, Byard's colleague in the United States Senate was a man named Willard Salisbury. Willard Salisbury was making a speech against Abraham Lincoln in 1863, and he called Lincoln an imbecile. He said he was the most, he, he was the biggest imbecile essentially, and that, that he'd ever spoken to, right? And the brother of, of uh, William T. Sherman, Billy Sherman, uh, John Sherman says, uh, Mr. Vice President, I think uh, we, need to, we need to boot this guy out of the Senate for saying that. Well, the Vice President, Hannibal Hamlin, wasn't paying attention. Right? This, is, this is before you had Andrew Johnson. Hamlin was still Vice President. He's presiding of the Senate. He says, I, I didn't hear what you said. What did he say? He called Abraham Lincoln an imbecile. Uh, actually, it was Doolittle. Doolittle from Wisconsin said it first. He called Lincoln an imbecile. We got, we got to say something about this. And then John Sherman, yes, yes, this is breaking decorum. We can't do that. We can't call the president an imbecile. We got, we got to do something about this. So Salisbury doubles down. He doubles down on it. Now, the, the story is that he might have been drunk. Uh, but he doubles down on it. And he pulls his pistol on the sergeant-at-arms and says, you're not coming to get me. So this is the kind of stuff that was going on. He was removed from the chamber, by the way. Bayard 
took the ironclad oath of allegiance and then resigned. He made a speech against it. So this is unprecedented. This is unprecedented in the history of the United States to force people to take an oath of allegiance, ironclad oath of allegiance to the United States. Unprecedented. What the heck are we doing? He takes the oath because he says, look, I got nothing to hide. I'm going to take the oath. And then he resigns from the Senate. Now, there's no indication as to why he took the oath and resigned. I think he was actually afraid if he didn't take the oath, they were going to arrest him because there was that kind of suspicion going on. You know, James Walter Wall was arrested. Alexander Long, they tried to boot him out of the out of these uh, House of Representatives for making a speech. I'm sorry, out of the Senate for making a speech that was critical of the Lincoln administration. Tried to get rid of him, right? Henry Clay Dean was arrested in Iowa for his opposition to the Lincoln administration. Spent time in jail. So there, there are people in this class that were either the Congress was attempting to get rid of them, or they were actually arrested. Byard's son, Thomas, Thomas Francis Byard, who later served again as Secretary of State, Ambassador to Great Britain, was arrested during the war. <laughs> so I find it hilarious when Mark Neely sits there and writes in this book that won the Pulitzer Prize, by the way. Well, this wasn't so bad. I mean, 13,000, it's not so bad. They're even 30,000 is bad. It didn't give you the whole picture. A lot of this wasn't political. These people deserved it. They deserved it. So imagine today, if the Democrats had their way, I mean, this is, this is what I said, there, there's a trend here. If the Democrats had their way, they would certainly suspend habeas corpus right now. Of course, it already is, by the way, because it was suspended by the Obama administration, has been let up since. The Democrats were holding political prisoners after the January 6th, quote-unquote, insurrection, essentially without trial. I mean, habeas corpus is suspended. They can do this. This is exactly what they want to do, right? So this is Lincoln... Now, the Congress did suspend habeas corpus uh, in 2012, the NDAA. This is what they did. But this is a vital civil liberty. So I really got interested in this. Habeas corpus is something we don't think about. But it means to produce the body, right? You arrest somebody. You can say, I demand a writ of habeas corpus. And you have to be brought before a judge and accused of something. And if they can't do it, they got to let you go. So it's a, it's a protection so you're not just thrown in jail and rot. I mean, this is, this is a you know, horrible thing that can happen to people. Political, this is used, this, look, this comes out of, of the Magna Carta, okay? So this has been used by monarchs to get rid of their opponents, and this is why this is a vital civil liberty and why it doesn't matter if you're on the left or the right or libertarian concern, who you are listening to this, to this program, you need to protect this because this is important. I know the, a lot of the lefties were worried about Donald Trump coming in and taking over and arresting people and all kinds of stuff. This is very, very important, and it's important for those on the right too, so that we're, you know, people on the right are not all arrested by the left. And it's an important civil liberty. Then, of course, is the abuse of power with Lincoln and the proclamation power, something that I talked about in the book Nine Presidents. Uh, I get into it with Washington. He didn't really, there's no proclamation power for the president, but of course, Lincoln does it too with the Emancipation Proclamation. And one of the great, one of the best documents in the entire class is entitled Executive Power. It's in the Copperheads class by Benjamin Robbins Curtis. And I, uh, I get into that particular document. And Benjamin Robbins Curtis was a former Supreme Court justice. He was one of the two people that voted against the Dred Scott decision. He thought it was a wrong decision. Uh, he was, uh, was anti-slavery. He was essentially an abolitionist. Um, he did not believe that the South had a right to secede. He didn't think that at all. He favored the prosecution of the war. Benjamin Robbins Curtis was as northern as you could get. A man from New England. 
But yet, he wrote this little pamphlet, Executive Power, where he just blasted a Lincoln administration over abusing power with habeas corpus and proclamation power. And he's basically said, look, where does this stop? Lincoln's argument was, well, I am commander-in-chief, and so therefore I can do whatever I have to do to best subdue the enemy. And Curtis said, you know, well, um, where does that end, Abe? If you can do whatever you want to do to best subdue the enemy, where does that end in the future? And so I included that. It's a great speech. So there's, there's actually eight documents that I go through in this class, eight speeches or, or documents, uh, public uh, pamphlets, where I, or book, one's a book, one's a chapter from a book, Henry Clay Dean. And then uh, several of them are speeches. And then, of course, uh, there's also a great speech by Franklin Pierce, uh, the former president of the United States, who makes a wonderful speech on July 4th, 1863, uh, right as you know, Gettysburg is taking place. Uh, you know, you have Lincoln's July 4th, 1861 address, which I cover in Reading Abraham Lincoln. That's a fantastic class, too, if you want to get to Lincoln and find out who this tyrant really was. And I mean it. Lincoln was a tyrant. He was a despot. If you want to find that, go read or go get that class, Reading Abraham Lincoln, um, and, and get those lectures. Um, but this class on Copperheads shows you, well, this is what the opposition was saying. And when I say they're the key to understanding the 19th century, I really do mean that. If you had a full understanding for how the government shifted in the 1860s, you would see that where we are today goes right back to Lincoln. If you are a conservative in America and you champion Abraham Lincoln, you're digging your own grave. You're digging your own grave. And I know why they do it. I mean, I, because he's useful, right? I mean, Lincoln is useful. He's useful for the right because if you're the party of Lincoln, then you can't be accused of racism. He's useful for the left because supposedly can't be accused of racism, though I think that even you know the, the chinks are coming off Lincoln's armor in that one. If you're on the left, Lincoln is useful because of the power, right? I mean, it's, it's about power and abuse of power. And I, I mean, I've seen this many, many times. Go on social media. Look at how the lefties... What, if Lincoln wasn't was president during January 6th, what would Lincoln have done? He would have arrested all these people, maybe even killed them, right? Well, Lincoln probably would have killed them. Is that a badge of honor? Are we are we in the United States uh, a, a federal republic that wants to kill its own citizens over political dissent? Is that what we want to do? Is that what the United States is all about? I mean, because from what I from where I'm sitting, unless you are a Lincolnian, it's not. It never had been. Now. You could say the Federalists in the 1790s were interested in the same thing Lincoln was doing, which is where John Adams was uh, signed some very bad legislation. But here's the thing. You have to understand the political opponents to Lincoln to really understand where the United States shifted and where it started going wrong. And that's what I got out of uh, researching Bayard and writing a dissertation. And the people that focus on you know, race alone, it's the only thing on their mind all the time. This, this is the funny thing about it. These are the people that think about race 24-7. It's all they, it's how they view the world. They, don't, they say it's the, other, it's the other side that views everything that way. These people view it that way. They, they, they just simply eat, sleep, and breathe it. And they're the ones that are fixated on it. And that's where they, they, they color their books with this stuff. Um, and Jennifer Weber is no different. James McPherson blurbed it. Uh, but, I mean, this is a really fascinating group of people. And they said some really important things, not just about civil liberties, but about abuse of power by the Republican Party, about, about uh, the war itself and how it was being prosecuted, about spending, about taxes, about uh, you know, unconstitutional legislation being rammed through the Congress, all kinds of stuff. Dean was pretty critical of, 
the way the Republicans were carrying on during the war. Um, and, you know, he basically, you know, said it was like a one big party and everyone's corrupt and they're, they're skimming. He even accused the Lincolns of skimming, which, by the way, they might have been. I mean, we don't know because Robert Todd Lincoln burned a lot of his father's documents. He might have been skimming. Uh, we don't know. Uh, but Dean makes the accusation, certainly, that Lincoln was not above the board with some of these things. So, just a lot of great stuff in this Copperheads class. And that's why you need to get it, right? Right now, $60 off. Use the coupon code COPPERHEADS. Get the class. Understand who these people are. Fall in love with them like I did. Because, I, I mean, again, I think these are Northerners. This is why it's the key. It's not Southerners saying this stuff. It's Northerners who were living under the Lincoln regime and who knew exactly what was going on. And it's, you can't just brush it off as politics. Because this stuff actually happened, Right? There is documented evidence that people were being arrested. Vallandigham was arrested. Long was arrested. Or at least they tried to boot him out of Congress. Walter, uh, James Walter Wall was arrested. Byard's son was arrested. You had uh, Jesse Bright of Indiana, who I didn't uh, talk about in the class. He was booted out of the Senate. Actually physically removed from the Senate because he wrote a letter to Jefferson Davis and called him President Jefferson Davis. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that's happening. And Bright was from Indiana. So... You can't you can't get around that the Republican Party was obnoxious. They were drunk with power, and they were going to do everything they could to both maintain their party and maintain their power throughout this entire war period. All right, buy the class. Get to fall in love with those copperheads. I'll see you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan show. See you then.